what's going on in the Middle East at the moment. Are these wars prophetical? Uh, with what's happening in Israel, is this a particular sign of anything? And what we have uh, in the Bible is uh, God as a God of order. God is not the, a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And he's given us a timetable. And what we see is God's perfect timetable for the world laid out in what we know as the feasts of Israel. God instituted seven feasts for Israel to um, commemorate certain things. Um, and what we've been looking at is, you know, why God initiated these feasts, feasts in the first place, what Jesus did in order to complete these feasts, and then what we should be doing in relation to these feasts because we're not under the law, we, we, we're not Jewish, so we don't celebrate the feast of Passover in that way. So what does it mean to us today? And what we've looked at so far, we've seen uh, these feasts split out into two sections. The first four feasts are known as the spring feasts, and they are Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and the feast of weeks or the feast of Pentecost. And then we have a gap between the spring and the autumn. And then the last three feasts are known as the autumn feast, trumpets, day of atonement, or Yom Kippur, and the feast of tabernacles. And what we've looked at so far is we've looked at how Christ fulfilled the spring feasts at his first coming, and he will actually fulfill the autumn feasts at his second coming. Well, Christ hasn't come back yet, so we now, in this day and age, are living in what's known as the gap between the spring feasts and the autumn feasts. Um, and what we're looking at today, we, we've looked at the last couple of weeks of this gap you know, what did God do? God made a covenant with his people Israel. They were unconditional covenants that could not be broken no matter what Israel did or anybody else did. And those covenants said that they would have a people, uh, that they would have a land, and that they would have a kingdom. Uh, we also saw what Christ did. Christ didn't come to fulfill the covenants. He came to fulfill the law. And he preached about the kingdom, a kingdom that was promised to Israel. And then we looked at what we should be doing. Uh, we looked at how the church has not replaced Israel. Um, the Bible says, now there's neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free. You're either lost or you're saved. You're either part of the church or you're not. Um, and, and that's it. There's no distinction. And what we should be doing now in this gap period is simply occupying until the Lord comes. Um, we are living in a world which is full of hatred. We're living in a world which is full of wickedness. We're living in a world which is full of confusion. And all we are called to do is to preach the gospel. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's it. It's that simple. If you trust Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that you have a home in heaven. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's a punishment in hell. And people might say, well, that's not fair. God is a cruel God if he sends people to hell. But the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell, but that all should come to repentance, all should come to a, a, a realization that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins so that their sins could be forgiven, and as a result, their home then could be a place called heaven. So what we are to do in this gap is simply to preach the gospel to every creature until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So, we come now, we've looked at the spring feasts, we've looked at the gap, and now we come to the 
autumn feast. Leviticus 23 and verse 23 says this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity to come around you a word. And Father, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts today and you'd help us to understand the significance of the Feast of Trumpets, what it means for Israel and what it means for the Lord Jesus Christ's return. So Father, we pray that you would just speak to our hearts. If there's anyone here in the building or watching online that has never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, if there's never been a point in their lives where they've asked for their sins to be forgiven and they've believed that Christ died on the cross for them, then Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts tonight and that there would be no doubt whatsoever that they are loved by the Lord Jesus Christ and that there's a home waiting for them in heaven. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church to, to be a witness to a world that is steeped in wickedness, to be a witness in a place that's full of so much evil, to be a light in so much darkness that surrounds us today. And just help us, Lord, to show the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to a world that is desperate to know a peace that passes understanding. So, Father, we pray you'd speak to our hearts today, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So, as with each of these feasts, uh, we are looking at what God has done, what Christ would do, and what we should be doing. So, we come today to the Feast of Trumpets, the first of the autumn feasts. So, what has God done? The, there's not much actually said about the Feast of Trumpets. I mean, we've probably got the shortest description in Leviticus 23 describing this feast. It just says, the Lord speak unto Moses, said, speak unto the children of Israel. You're going to have a Sabbath, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets. You're not going to do any work, and he'll offer an offering made by fire. And it's quite a short description of what the feast is. We know that it was to be observed in the seventh month, in the first day of the month. And this is what's known as the third pilgrimage feast. So Israel was meant to go to Jerusalem three times a year. And the interesting thing is we often say, if you've ever got a doubt of what feast they're meant to go up for, it's easier to remember that they're meant to go up for all of them. Because if they went for the unleavened bread, well, they may as well go for Passover and therefore stay because it all happened over the space of a few days. Then 50 days later, they were meant to go back for the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. And then they were meant to go back a few months later for the Feast of Trumpets. Well, trumpets and Day of Atonement and Tabernacles all happens kind of immediately after one another. So if you ever think, oh, I'm not sure what three feasts they're meant to go to Jerusalem for, safe bet is they were meant to go up for all of them. It's just the fact that if they went for the one... They may as well have stayed for three, and then there's one in the middle, and if they went for the one at the end, they may as well have stayed for the three. Um, so the Feast of Trumpets was uh, a preparation uh, for the Day of Atonement. 
Um, so in the Hebrew, this period was referred to as Yamim Norim, literally the days of affliction or the days of awe. And it was just a time of self-examination. The Feast of Trumpets occurred in the, on the first day of the seventh month. And Leviticus 23 said it was a memorial of the blowing of trumpets. Memorial there, the Hebrew word literally means a remembrance or a reminder. So it was more than just to remember something. It, it was a reminder of something. It means to remember, to recall, to call to mind, usually as affecting present feelings, thought, or action. So it was to recall something from the past with a view, uh, uh, either presently or at some time in the future, to do something about it. So this feast re recollects past events which results in something affecting the way in which they were to behave towards the Lord. So each of these events was meant to remember something, was meant to commemorate something. Passover, that remembered the deliverance of the firstborn, Exodus 12, 14, and this day shall be for you a memorial, and he shall keep it a feast of the Lord throughout your generations he shall keep it a feast, an ordinance forever. So the Passover remembered the deliverance of the firstborn from the last plague uh, in Egypt. Unleavened bread remembered the exodus from Egypt. Uh, exodus 13, 18. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. Um, first fruits, remember, was the celebration of a harvest, as was Pentecost. There was two harvests. There was a wheat harvest and a barley harvest. First fruits uh, was a memorial of the one harvest. Pentecost was a memorial of the other harvest. And that was to be celebrated when they came into the land. But what about the Feast of Trumpets? We are not really told what the Feast of Trumpets was commemorating. And it has been known as a mystery feast. What is this feast about? What does it mean? What does it commemorate? Because the memorial doesn't seem to remind of any past event, nor does it seem to promote any kind of action. So in order, to, in order for us to understand what this feast is, we're going to have a look at some scriptures of people who celebrated this feast. So the first person we're going to look at is Solomon. If you turn to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, uh, we come to a very significant moment in Jewish history. Uh, for uh, hundreds of years, uh, the tabernacle has been the place where people went to worship the Lord. The tabernacle was a temporary tent. That was where the Lord dwelt among his people. So this is a significant moment in um, Israel's history because they finally have a temple. Solomon has built a temple, uh, a permanent dwelling place on earth for God. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast which was in the seventh month. Now, as we know, there are three feasts which occur in the seventh month. Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, 
And again, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, if you look at 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 10, um, So in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 10, it says, The sons also of Jeriel, Bilhan, and the sons... Uh, I'm in the wrong... I'm in 1 Chronicles. No wonder that doesn't make sense. 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 10. It says, And on the three and twentieth day of the seventh month, he sent the people away and into their tents, glad and merry in heart for the goodness that the Lord had shown unto David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. So 2 Chronicles 7.10 mentions that this dedication of the temple that they gathered for on the first day of the seventh month lasted for 23 days. And that is the length of the whole cluster of those last feasts. Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles. Okay? Um, the Trumpets was the first day of the seventh month. The Day of Atonement was the tenth day. And the Feast of Tabernacles was the 15th day and lasted for seven days. So on the 23rd day, on the next day after that, Solomon sent the people home. So what happened on this feast day? The construction of the temple was complete. Um, the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies. Uh, God's glory came down in 2 Chronicles 7, chapter 1. The covenants of Israel were renewed, um, 2 Chronicles 6. Uh, the sacrifices were started on the altar, 2 Chronicles 7. The feasts were observed, 2 Chronicles 8. And then the people were gathered as a nation to meet with the Lord and to worship Him. Okay, so I just want you to have a, a quick understanding of what happened on that first day of the seventh month. They all gathered to the temple uh, and to worship the Lord. Now we're going to jump forward um, 400 years and we're going to go to the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. And the first few verses. Okay, so we know by the time we come to Ezra, um, in the intervening years between the building of Solomon's temple and the time of Ezra, the Jewish people have fallen away from God spiritually, uh, and what has happened is the temple has been um, destroyed. Uh, but the first two chapters of the book of Ezra show how God has not forgotten his people. If you remember, the Feast of Trumpets is the Feast of Remembrance. God has made a covenant with his people, and God is going to keep it. In Ezra um, chapter 3 and verse 1, And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. And in Ezra chapter 3 and verse 6, it says... Uh, from the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. So what happened on the, the first day of the seventh month during the time of Ezra? The nation gathered together. They offered sacrifices in the temple and they renewed their covenant obligations to the Lord. Now we're going to go forward another 92. This is all going to make sense to me. If you're looking at me and thinking, oh my days, this is boys like being back in school. Come on, we're just a list of figures and facts and we're going to get there now. But I just lay in a foundation. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. We go forward uh, uh, about 90 years 
Uh, and this is a time of Nehemiah and the revival that occurred after the people had completed building the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, again, uh, we see Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe, Bring the book of the Lord of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and of the women. Uh, and uh, uh, we see that, again, we see them gathering uh, together. Uh, and Ezra read um, the law of uh, uh, the, the, law, the, the law of the Lord. But what we see is the people gathered as one man. And if you look at verse two, when did they gather? Upon the first day of the seventh month. Um, that is the day of the feast of trumpets. What happened? They sacrificed according to the law. Uh, if you go on and read chapter 9, they renewed their covenant relationship with God. What happened then? They began celebrating the other feasts. So what do we see happen every time? And you think, why have you said all that? What's this got to do with Solomon and Ezra and Nehemiah? And on the first day of the seventh month, they gathered together. They renewed the covenant relationship with God and they offered sacrifices. That's what happened on the day of uh, trumpets, on the, at the Feast of Trumpets. They gathered together as a nation. They gathered in Jerusalem, in or near the temple. They renewed the covenant relationship with God. They began sacrificing, and then they celebrated the feast that came after it, the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. So what did God do? What was the purpose of the Feast of Trumpets? It was to gather the people together, to renew their covenant relationship with God, and then to offer sacrifices to the Lord. So what has this got to do with Christ? What would Christ do? Now then, you will find many people saying that the Feast of Trumpets will be completed when a certain event happens with the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verses 16 to 17, it says that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. A lot of people will say that the trump of God mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4 is the same as uh, what the... Uh, the, the, the Leviticus is talking about in relation to the Feast of Trumpets. Now, let me ask you this question. Who is the rapture for? When this trumpet sounds, who will be gathered? The church. Who is the Feast of Trumpets for? Israel. So this is not, the, 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 the rapture is not for Israel as a nation. The rapture is for the church. They are different trumpets. All of the feasts relate to Israel. The rapture is for the church and only for the church. This is the catching away of the saints. After that then, the world will be subject to seven years of tribulation, during which time God will focus his attention upon Israel once more. So others see this feast fulfilled at the start of the tribulation because there's a covenant renewed 
and a sacrifice, uh, sacrificial systems are um, uh, reinstituted in the temple. But it's a different covenant. The start of the tribulation is, com- is confirmed by a covenant made with the Antichrist and Israel. Okay, so, and that's talked about by Daniel. That when uh, that covenant is confirmed with many for one week, one week meaning seven years, uh, in the midst of that week, the sacrifices uh, will stop. Um, so this is not the covenant being renewed with God. So the rapture is not for the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. The rapture is for the church. The Feast of Trumpets is for Israel. So... Um, what happens during the tribulation is there are 144,000 Jewish witnesses that evangelize the whole world where the nation of Israel will be saved as a nation and Gentiles will be saved um, as a result of this witnessing. But I believe that the Feast of Trumpets will be literally fulfilled on the first day of the seventh month at the end of the tribulation. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29. The Lord said, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. Uh, the elect there, um, this is going to disappoint the Calvinists. This is not the Calvinists, this is Israel. Um, the trumpet will sound and the elect of Israel will be gathered from the four corners of the earth. What happens at the Feast of Trumpets? There is a gathering. Israel gathers as a nation. They come to the temple, they renew their covenant with God, and then they offer sacrifices. Just to fill everybody in, what will happen next? A trumpet will sound and the church will be raptured. After the church is raptured, there will be seven years of what's known as the tribulation on the earth. That's found in the book of Revelation. At the end of the tribulation, the Lord Jesus Christ returns on a white horse for what is known as the battle of Armageddon. After that, the trumpet sounds, Israel is regathered as a nation, and they come back to Jerusalem, they will renew their covenant with the Lord, they will look on him whom they've pierced, and then they will say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. After that, they are gathered together, they will enter alive into the millennial kingdom, and we'll talk a bit more about that next week. So what has that got to do with us? What should we be doing in relation to the Feast of Trumpets? Because you might be sitting here thinking, well, so what? 
You know, if Israel's going to be regathered and they're going to renew their covenant, and what does this have to do with us? Well, it's a reminder. You know, God has also made a covenant with us. You know, often we've talked about how God has made a covenant with Israel, and we have the, the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant and the land covenant and, uh, you know, the, uh, the Mosaic covenant. We, we, we see all of that, that God has these covenants with Israel, but he's also made a covenant with us. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 24 says this. This is my blood of the New Testament, also translated as covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. On that day that we know as the last supper, when the Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and took the cup, he gave a whole new meaning when he drank that cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Christ equated the cup uh, to his own blood, which he was about to shed on the cross. Uh, the, the wine in the cup is produced through violence. The grapes are picked and crushed underfoot to extract the juice. Jesus Christ was about to be crushed, as it were, by the full weight of religious Israel, by, by the full weight of mighty political Rome, and they would combine forces to see him dead. He was, more importantly, about to be crushed by his own father. And he would cry them those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When Christ was on the cross, he became sin for us. Paul said in Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He became sin for us that we might become righteous in the sight of God. You see, there's nothing good about us. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We cannot pay for our own sin. We, we can't afford it. There, there's nothing that we have that will cover the sin debt. There's nothing that we can offer God to say, well, look, Lord, I can provide this. So would you accept that as payment? And God says, it's not good enough because there's none righteous. There's nothing righteous in us. Every good act and every good deed we do, Isaiah says, all our righteousnesses, all our good deeds and our good acts are like filthy rags. They're not good enough. But Jesus Christ was perfect. If you study Christ's life, you will find that he never said anything in a mean-spirited way. He never said anything that was hateful. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to this earth, was perfect and sinless. You know, it was interesting. Uh, I was sent a video this week. Uh, Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion. And in that book, Richard Dawkins said that um, there, there are uh, no historians that agree that Jesus existed. So when he was confronted, somebody interviewed him and confronted him and said, well, look, I, I've looked at uh, historians, and a lot of historians will actually agree that Jesus Christ was an actual real person, and he did actually exist. And Richard Dawkins, in this interview that you can see on YouTube, openly admitted that he'd lied. And he said, yes, there is plenty of proof that Jesus Christ did indeed actually exist. You know, it's incredible how the world tries to tear the Lord Jesus Christ apart. Why is there no other name that people use as an expression of disgust? 
why isn't Muhammad's name used or Confucius's name used or Buddha's name used or why is it the Lord Jesus Christ's name that is used to express a feeling of hurt or disgust or disdain? You know, there's something quite special about that name. The Bible says there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. For those who know him as their savior, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is something quite beautiful. Why? Because we remember that he died upon the cross for us. That he gave up everything. Ara said this morning, you know, oftentimes we, we kind of just think about the, the fact that he, he gave up heaven and came to earth and, and that was it. But he gave up aspects of his deity. He had to give up certain attributes of being God. And he, for, for the first time, he was no longer omnipresent. He was confined, as it were, to a human body. Uh, and even though it is a glorified body, now it's still the same body which contains the same scars in his hands and in his side, and in his brow. But the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross of Calvary. That blood was shed so that our sins could be paid for. Because we, we can't pay for it ourselves. Listen, if you ask anybody who's got a mortgage, if they would love somebody to come along and pay that mortgage, they would be like, oh, my days. Absolutely. In a heartbeat. Wouldn't that be great? Student debt. Gone. I'll pay for a few. No, I'm not done. I'm not saying that that I will pay for. But if somebody said that, like every student rushes forward. <laughs> but if somebody said, I'll, "I'll cover all your debt," I'll pay for it. Because sometimes we can get ourselves into so much debt, and then the debt just increases because we can't afford to pay for this, so we take out a loan for this, and then the debt gets more and more and more, and then all of a sudden we're inundated, and we think, "I can't pay for it." But if somebody offered to pay for that debt, We'd be like, that would be an incredible, incredible offer. Well, there's a sin debt that we can't pay for that just increases and increases and increases and increases. But the only one who can pay for that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, this is a covenant I'm making with you. I'm going to shed my blood for you. That if you accept me as your Savior, then that blood will cleanse you of sin. And he said, well, that doesn't make sense. How can something dirty like blood cleanse me? Well, Isaiah said, though our sins be as scarlet, by that shed blood, they can be made as white as snow. So when the Lord Jesus Christ's blood is added to us, our sin is placed on him, and then his righteousness is placed on us. Christ died for us. Christ was crushed on the cross. His blood was shed. But when his blood was shed, God was satisfied. Romans chapter 3 and verse 25 to 26 says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through the faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Everybody who believes in Christ for salvation has their sins washed away by the blood of Christ and they are instantly brought into a new relationship 
with God. You know, every time we partake of the cup in what we know as communion or the Lord's Supper, there's nothing special about that cup. But it's a memorial. It's a reminder of something that happened in the past. Remember, that's what a memorial is. It's a reminder of what happened in the past. But that memorial has to affect what you are going to do in the future. So we remember that Christ died for us, that he made a new covenant with us through his blood. We remember that he did that. But if that doesn't change us or affect us or alter the way in which we live or the way in which we act or the way in which we interact with other people, what difference does that make? You know, the biggest problem we have today is that the world thinks the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. You know, we're a bunch of people who kind of say one thing on a Sunday and then act another way for the rest of the time. We're not meant to be hypocrites. We're just meant to be real Christians. People who were once lost and headed to a crisis hell have been changed by what Christ did for us on the cross. And can I say this? That, that ought to excite us. We ought to be joyful as Christians. You know, if, if you see somebody that's happy and you think, oh my days, look at them go. I, I want what they got. How, how are you so happy? How are you so cheerful? You know, what's your secret to success? You know, we all want to know what's the secret to success? What is it that you've got? You know, that's all Instagram is full of influencers. If you want to be like me, then this is what you've got to do. You can follow them all you like. It doesn't mean you're going to end up exactly like that. But for Christians, we're meant to influence people to draw them closer to the Lord, to want them to know about the Lord rather than to repulse them. And for people to look at us and say, well, I don't want what you got. You're just a hypocrite. That's not real. Yeah, I heard somebody say one time about somebody in this church, wow. They said, what, what you've got is real. And that's the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood was shed so our sins could be forgiven. I don't know where you are. I don't know. You know perhaps you think we're all crackers and we're all nuts. And then you just come into church tonight and you think, do you know I'm not going there again. They're all bonkers. But if you never come here again, I just want you to know this. Jesus Christ loved you so much that he went to the cross of Calvary for you. And he died on the cross of Calvary so that your sins could be forgiven. And if your sins could be forgiven, that means that your home could be heaven. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know what happens when we leave this place tonight. We could cross the road and get knocked over. We could get in the car and get into an accident. We could go to bed tonight and not wake up in the morning. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But the Bible says this, now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Please don't put that off. If you are not sure where you go, where you would go when you die, accept the Lord today before it's too late. Admit that you have sinned that you've broken God's commands, that you've fallen short of his glory. Admit that you're not perfect. I know that's hard, especially for women, but I know that's hard for people to do. Admit that you're not perfect and then believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, that he took you a sin so that you could receive his righteousness. 
and then confess him. Confess him as your saviour. Confess your sins to him. And the Bible says he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you were to die, the second after you called upon his name, you'd spend eternity in heaven. This life only lasts for so long. Some people die in their teens. Some in their 20s. Some past the hundreds. But the fact of the matter is that everybody at some point, at some time, will die. But if you know Christ as your Savior, then there's an eternity that you can spend with him. In paradise, the Bible refers to it as paradise. Forever. I'm thankful that I know him as my Savior today. I'm thankful that he went to the cross for me. That he went to the cross for you. And one day, we get to spend eternity with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day and for this time together. And for this opportunity to come around your word. Lord, we just pray that you continue to speak to our hearts tonight, Lord. And Father, we're thankful for the fact that you have all things under control. We look at the world today, Lord, and we get disheartened and frightened with what's going on. We see uh, these wars taking place. The Lord Jesus Christ said that there would be wars and there would be rumors of wars. The Lord Jesus Christ said that as it was in the days of Noah, when every thought and intent of man was only evil continually, then we realize the time is getting close for your return. And Lord, we see the world getting more and more wicked. But Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed firmly on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would not lose heart, that we would not be discouraged. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here in this building tonight or anybody watching online that has never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save them, never asked him into their hearts, that tonight would be the night that they would call on the name of the Lord. Father, we just pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious and wonderful name. Amen. Before we sing our last hymn, if you would like to speak to me, I will be at the door. If you would like to speak to me about salvation or anything that I've spoken on tonight, please come and see me if you've got any questions or something you didn't understand or you would like to know more about how to be saved, then I will be standing by the door and I will stay there until the last person has left the church uh, and I will be more than happy to come and sit with you and show you in the Bible uh, what you need to do to be saved. Let's stand and sing our last hymn together. And uh, during the last verse, I'm going to ask Julian Newton if he would come forward and just close us then in a word of prayer. Amen.
pray. I do thank you, Lord, for the opportunities we've had today to uh, gather together, Lord, this morning and this evening, to gather around your word, Lord, to sing your praises and to share fellowship one with another. We thank you for the word this evening. We thank you for the reminder of uh, the gospel message that that uh, free gift of salvation is available to uh, anyone who will accept it. And Lord, we do pray that if there is one in the building here or watching online that doesn't know you, that tonight they might uh, heed those words and treat it with a sense of urgency to turn to you uh, to have salvation for themselves. And so we just commend those ones to you, Lord, and just pray now that as we uh, finish our service that you just bless the remainder of our time uh, together, uh, that as we share in fellowship one with another, that it will be a blessed time. And so be with us, Lord, we pray. And we pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, our soon returning King, the Lord Jesus Christ. 